Leslie. We appreciate all you guys do for us, keeping us headed in the right direction. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and uh, turn to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. We'll begin in uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. Luke, chapter 12. And we'll read the first nine verses. Luke chapter 12, beginning now at verse 1. Actually, you know, let's go back to verse 53 of uh, Luke chapter 11. It'll bring us into our context a little better. Luke chapter 11, verse 53. And as he said, that's Jesus, as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trode one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware you of the leaven of all the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed Upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, but and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yes, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before the men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer before our study this afternoon. Father God, once again, we thank you for the day that you've given to us. The opportunity we have to, to share amongst ourselves and worship and praise, lifting your name up on high. And Father, we would ask now for these moments before us as we've turned to the word that you would take it and use it. Make us what you want us to be. Take us to, the, to a level that we've never been before relationally. That, Father, we'll see you more clearly and more appropriately than ever. We thank you, Father, for the truth, for the truth is what sets us free. I thank you for each one of them to come out today and their desire to know more of you and to share with others their love for you. Father, we would pray, if there's someone here today that does not know you personally, that this would be an opportunity today for them to gain eternal life because of what Jesus accomplished. And now, Father, we would ask, importantly as well, that the Holy Spirit would be our soul guide and teacher today. We look with anticipation for what you have for us. Take the word and use it in a manner that is pleasing and glorifying to you. We thank you for what you'll accomplish now. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> last week, um, in fact, what we may do, it may, we'll, we'll see if it's, 
if it becomes a little more interactive or not. But last week, I overpowered you with the sense of there was just a whole lot of material. We talked about uh, the fear of God. Um, the week previous to that, we maybe talked, I think we did anyway, we talked about uh, fear in itself. And I was actually, before we go any further, I was just thinking just a few minutes ago that uh, this week, uh, just looking through our nation's capital and how much is derived from fear really blows our mind. Uh, things that are said, things that are done, things that aren't said, that aren't done, really behind it is a, an overwhelming power of fear. Loss of position, loss of, I would just say, what did I just say now? Position, a power, loss of power, loss of something that we're accustomed to, uh, a not being able to do what we've always done, uh, a fear of someone else being right. Uh, amazes me right now um, how we can look and read the exact same words and come up with total different meanings. And there's fear behind that because it's a self. I, I want to get to the end of it and then somehow it has to say this so that I don't lose this. That's really what it is. And fear has driven us as a nation now at our upper levels of congressional halls to levels that I've not witnessed before. And literally behind it all is fear. Now, I was drawn to this passage this morning. I had another one in mind. I was actually going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and look at some of the virtues of a man of God. Or we were going to, and I, I'm not sure how I'm going to tie that together because it was just, I came in and it was like, that, that's not right today. And this passage, which was one I looked at last week, but was, it was probably the only one in the scripture about the fear of God I didn't mention last week because I could just see the deer in the headlights to those who were here last week. It was overpowering in what I brought to you, or God brought to you. I didn't bring it to you. It was God's word. And there was a lot of stuff coming at you. But uh, maybe for just a second, those of you that were here last week, there was a few overarching sense of principles and priorities. I said, if you, if you, if you miss everything else, I want you to remember this. Does anyone remember a couple of those? There was one in particular. And, and I'm talking now about, and we're going we're gonna to dive in from a little different angle today, speaking about the fear of God. Now, last week we talked more about the sense of, of reverence or awe and just the overpowering. Uh, and he's infinite. We're finite. But his love, we talked a bit about that, how infinite his love is. We can't comprehend the magnitude and the audacity of how much he loves us. But one of the things that I, I said a number of times, and I'm going to say it again today because this really behind it, uh, the fear of God can be looked at from several different positions. We're going to look at it a bit differently today. But last week we, took the, we really looked at it in the sense of a reverence against saying that again or of awe. And this is something I want you to we'll see if, if this resonates. Um, when we fear the Lord, the proper fear of the Lord should drive us to him and not away from him. The fear of God will always drive us to him if it's a proper fear of God. Now, again, the bigger God becomes, the less fear and the more fear you have for him and his overwhelming sovereignty and his awesomeness, there really isn't anything else to fear. Because he overpowers everything else because he knows more, he is more, he does more, and he's overwhelming beyond what I can even comp that I can even give you as a sense of comprehension. That's who God is. And when you fear him properly, there is nothing else to fear. The truth 
shall set you free. I would like to say that in a very loud voice in the halls of Congress right now. We need it everywhere. And it's not just there, but this is the thing that's front and center right now. And we've lost the sense of the effectiveness and awesomeness of truth. When truth is present, there is no reason for fear to be there. And it's interesting that uh, as the passage that we read, was there anything else that you, I kind of told you what I, what I wanted you to remember. Um, again, the fear of God brings you to him and not away from him. If he drives you away from him, then you've missed God. He's wanting everyone to come to repentance. He loves you, loves everyone so much, he wants to draw you to himself. That's the God that is described for us in the scriptures. Uh, any other, did you guys have any burning questions of, I mean, we did, we traveled through, but I didn't know how to divide it. Like, have you ever been in something and I can't stop because we're not done. And if we don't finish, I don't think you'll get the whole, that's what we did last week. So you that weren't here, whew, it was busy. The, the, the Bibles were hot. So any other burning questions or something, maybe something that you had some notes on and you wanted it reviewed, this is a good time to be doing it. And as as a way, I want it to be a little more interactive today. If you have something in your mind, something that you want to further explanation, uh, I'm here to say that I don't know what the answer is, but we'll dig into it. Okay? Yes? I think the fear of... And we're, we're going to actually, Ernie has brought us, I think, this. I, I want to raise that today. I was actually engaged in another conversation uh, a long ways away from here, a gentleman that I visited with in the middle of the week, kind of along these lines. And one of the things that, that we didn't get to last week was the fact of why do we obey God? Now, again, I, I'm going to, I'm starting off a little bit early, but Ernie has kind of led us into this for a second, okay? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hang that question out there. Why do you obey God? Okay, don't, don't, even, don't answer, just, just work with that for a second. How does God want us to obey him? Why and how and what, out of, what kind of a spirit does God want us to obey him? Okay, we're going we're gonna to work on this as we go on. Coming to Luke chapter 12. Uh, a couple things stick out to me that I think are, are really important. We dive into this. Now, the first thing that's really interesting, does, you'll, you'll find when we read it, you're supposed to fear God, right? Because he's the one that can send you to hell. Now, anyone that does not believe there's a hell, it's a really interesting sense of how this was constructed because if there was no hell, in other words, after this life, it's it, it's done, it's over with, then there would be no reason to fear God any more than men because at the end, there's nothing left. It was very distinct, though, that there is immortality, there is eternity after this, because man can only take a physical life. That's the maximum that they can take. And to us as Christians, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, it just takes us to another level if you know Jesus. That's how the martyrs saw it. That's how the disciples saw it. How could we possibly turn against what Jesus Christ, all that he did for us and he died for us, he rose again, he opened up eternal life to us and you're threatening us with meeting him early? Bring it on! 
That's the right picture. They had, they, they, that literally was exactly what the Gospel of Luke is trying to get across. But let's make sure our context is right and we understand what's going on. This probably was one of the maximum levels in the sense of attendance of what I'm going to call a Jesus rally. There was a lot of people here. In fact, look at verse 1 in chapter 12 once again. Oh, and did you see, before we do that, did you, did you, we backed up a couple of verses for your sake. There's something here that I want you to, I, I really want to see. There was this crescendo of a, of a Jesus versus the Pharisees. I mean, it's big. It's real. He is calling them out. Now, again, who are the Pharisees? Who are the Sadducees? In your own words, in your own terms. How, how were they in the sense of Israel's economy and the sense of how things were working culturally? They were the religious leaders. Okay? How did they see themselves? <laughs> in fact, you know, I, th- you know, this is another verse that just came banging on my head. It, it, it fits here, but it even fits for us today as a nation, as a church, and as a believer. It's in the Old Testament. I'd like this to go there and just be thinking about this as well in regards to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, religious leaders. Hold your place here, and Luke will be right back. But turn back to me to page 1,340, and that will put you to Micah, the little book of Micah. Chapter 6 and verse 8. See if you can find Micah. If you go to your index, I have no problem with that at all. Um, those of you who have exactly the same Bible as I do, I've give, given you the page number. Otherwise, you're on your own. Uh, Micah chapter 6 and verse... Well, actually, I'm going to start in verse 7. And... Uh, Again, I'm going to let you fill in the context of all of this, but there's, there's obviously a separation between God and the Israelites. And they thought they're, on, they're doing everything. They're giving God offerings. And, you know, God has always wanted the heart. He's always wanted what makes you, you. Now, let's start in verse 7. So he's responding. Or, I'm sorry. It's the, yeah, they're responding. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? Now, I'm listening right now. This is, a, this is an opening, isn't it? This is going to describe what does God really want? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Those three things are not happening very often right now. To do justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly before the... I'm going to get this right. To walk humbly with thy God. If America ever needed a verse... That's the verse. (laughs) That's the verse. Now let's go back to Luke chapter 12 because it ties in beautifully in the sense of the picture that we find here. And I'm going to have to get moving. As you can tell, I'm already behind again, but that's okay. You're used to me. Luke chapter 12, and it says actually in verse 54 of 11, chapter 11, it says laying wait. These are the Pharisees. They're laying wait for him, seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. They're literally looking to kill him right now. They're setting the whole situation up, and they're just there at these Jesus rallies. Those are my words. 
but you know what I'm talking about. When Jesus was there, people came from miles around. They had seen him heal. They had seen him speak. They had, they, they, he had touched hearts and lives like no one had ever done before. Now, who do you think is the most upset by that? The Pharisees and Sadducees. Now they're there only to trick, to try to malign, to get him something somewhere to take him out of context. Does this sound familiar? To just get a hold of him somehow and to take him out. Now, I want you to see the sense of the number of people that are here at this gathering. Luke chapter 12. uh, While they're thinking of that, while they're doing that, it says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trode one upon another. Now, stop for a moment. That word innumerable, actually, in the Greek is the biggest word for numbers that you can think of, which is about 10,000. Have you ever heard the angels described as 10,000 times 10,000 in Revelation? That that really revolving around this whole concept, it's the highest number in the Greek language, and they're saying it's it's an innumerable. And we don't know exactly. I'm going to suggest that the way it's worded, there's probably 30 or 40,000 people. Can you imagine that? No microphones. No auditoriums. The only the best you could do would be kind of a, a, what you would call an amphitheater. You know, a, a natural... Uh, you, you, has anyone been in some of those natural places that the sound actually goes away over a large area? And I'm not saying that was this case. But that's why they were stepping on one another. What do you, how about that for crowd control? Why would they be doing it? Why would they be so aggressive? Because they want to get in close and watch this between Jesus and the Pharisees. It was high time climax. And this is, is, this is probably the highest popularity in the sense of numbers that Jesus has attracted because more people want to know about him and watch what he does with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And this is the, I'm going to say his utmost of dividing and making it clear. Now, he has, now, when he says, well, let's keep reading. In verse 1, um, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, now, I, I do not believe that this is just the 12 disciples. There was a whole lot of, what is a disciple? A follower of Jesus. There were those that were traipsing along, just, I wonder what he can do with this. I, I watched him heal somebody. I'm going to just see what he, what's, what's in it for me. How can I be part of this progress? How can I be part of this plan? What is it that we could really get from this? And they're long, they haven't made their decision. They're on the fence. But they're still following him. And he says this. And it, now think of this. If you've got 30,000, and I'm going to say that. I'm, I, I, can't, I can't prove it. But let's say there's 30,000 people there. What would be your opening statement? You'd kind of want to get them in closer, right? Watch what he says. He was always a watershed. Beware you of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. <laughs> That's the opening line. Oh, my goodness. Jesus, why did you say that? Because he's really after the sense of the important issues beyond anything else. Beyond anything else. Now, the word hypocrisy, uh, that always conjures up great things, doesn't it? What is hypocrisy? Tell me what it is. Someone strides through the door and says, um, can someone tell me what hypocrisy is? And you're going to tell them because you're going to say, what is it? You're going to, say, you're going to tell them, I know. I'm that person. I just walked through the door. What is hypocrisy? And you say? It is kind of like where the word actor. In fact, the old time uh, 
dramas. Um, I don't know. I guess they couldn't think that they could have their own faces contort to the character. They had masks. And they would have masks for different situations. And you'd have to get the evil mask, right? And they'd put it over. And then that same actor later could use a different mask. He became somebody different. Even though behind the mask, he was not at all what he was on the outside. He or she was on the outside. So pretending to be something that you're really not. And in the Pharisees' condition, that would be they appeared to be very religious, very sanctimonious, very loving, very fearful of God and all of this, all the stuff, right? And he just, yeah, false righteousness. I called it majoring on the minors. It was all about that out, so you look good. And Jesus went right through. You talk about blowing through the mask. He ripped it up and burned it. And he showed them exactly who they were. And they hated him for that. But he said, beware of the leaven. What, what do you know about leaven? You, excuse me? Yeah, it, it, it kind of grows, doesn't it? What else do you know about it? You bread makers? It permeates, goes through the whole thing. There, if, if, if you've got yeast or leaven in, there's no part of it that doesn't become part of. And that's one of the things that Jesus always was warning against. Stay away from that teaching, thinking. All, and that's one of the things I was actually going to get into next week, Lord willing. We're going to talk about virtues of being a man of God or a woman of God. And there's some things you need to run away from. This would be one of those that Jesus would have said, run away from their leaven, from their teaching, from their quote-unquote non-truth that they are permeating the entire society. See, and they've done well, haven't they? The average Joe, the average Israelite that would have been living and breathing in that group of people would have had a very high concept, maybe not right then, already twisted a little bit. But when Jesus came on the scene and he said, these guys are hypocrites. What do you mean, a hypocrite? These are the Pharisees. I mean, they're like the religious gurus. What, what do you mean, Jesus? And he cut right through it. He showed them exactly who they were. The truth is what sets you free. Doesn't make friends with the Pharisees. But he's spot on. Let's keep going. There's uh, basically three reasons that are given, for, given to us here. Why you should fear God, because we'll find that in, in verse, uh, let's see, where do we find that? Actually, in verse 5, but I, let, let's, let's just watch it develop. He said that's what you need to be careful of as the Pharisees, because of the leaven, which is their hypocrisy. In verse 2, he tells us first why you should fear God. God will uncover what is hidden. It says, for there is nothing covered, verse 2, that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. There's nothing that will not be revealed one day. Let's go turn back to Luke chapter 8, verse 17. Just uh, hold your place here. We'll be right back. Luke chapter 8, verse 17. Luke chapter 8, verse 17. He says, that, again, Jesus' words, For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest out in the open, neither shall anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. God will uncover everything that is hidden. And there's nothing that will not be made right and true. In fact, turn all the way back to Revelation. Uh, hold your, again, I'm hoping you're holding your place in Luke chapter 12. Um, and we'll go to Revelation chapter 20. And I'd like to look at verses 11 through 15. 
This is, this, is this is the culmination of those that do not fear God. It says in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 20, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and, the, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's, that's, that, that's the culmination of all of the lies, all of the untruths, everything that was thought to be covered and re- not revealed. There's a day coming. Now, for the Christian, if you've trusted Christ, it's called the Bema Seat or the Judgment Seat of Christ. Those things that you, the opportunity, I think, especially the opportunities that we've missed. Have you, have you had some of those? No, I'm not here. To, I'm not here to try to make you feel guilty. That's not what this is about. Because today's the beginning of forever. Right? From this day forward. You can't go back. But from here you can go forward. And on that day, you're saved. You're there. But I'm thinking of there will be tears there at the Bema Seat or the Judgment Seat of Christ. Those things. Oh, man. Right? And you know what's going to be at the base of it? This is what I'm going to get to. There was fear that you had that was greater for anything else other than God. That's what we're getting at here. And that's what Jesus is literally saying. But at the end of those being cast in the lake of fire, there's nothing that will be hidden. God will uncover everything that is hidden. That's the first reason to fear God. Even in verse 3, it goes a little bit further. It says, Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which you have spoken in the ear and closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Uh, one of the things that you may have seen in the, in the scriptures is the inner room. They were, they were in the inner room. Well, the houses in that day and age, in that culture, were made out of dirt or mud. And, and obviously, the, if you, if you, I'm going to make this a little bit differently. So where would you hide your valuables? If you had your mud house, where would you put them? Well, you'd probably want to go to the inner part of the house because they'd have to go through. Because literally, you know, you know, all of the alarm systems, all of that stuff. In that day and age, you just had to really just dig through a mud wall. And the thief was in. But they actually, there was two thought processes. To the inner part of that home, through several walls of that, that's where you had your valuables. And it was also where you probably had your most private conversations. Because it couldn't be heard by anyone else. All of these secrets, all, and he's saying that there's no place that things can be said of which it isn't ultimately going to be revealed because I am God and I've declared it. So he makes that case pretty strong. Then look at verse 4. Not only will God uncover everything that is hidden, he will punish hypocrites. Verse 4 And I say unto you, my friends, Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. He's wanting to make sure that you understand there's nothing, 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 ultimately, that any other person can do but to take your physical life. But God is the one that puts you into eternity in the sense of if you're without, if you don't fear God, I'm here today, if you do not fear God, you are on your way to hell. 
That's not my words. doesn't matter what I say. That's what the Bible says. It's clear, very clear. And that's who I want to fear. I'm going to be right. Now I'm going to make it personal to me. I would want to fear that one, not the one that can take my life. I want to fear the one that has the keys to eternity. Body and, and soul. Yes, yeah. body and soul. Man, are, are they can, you know, and you, we hear all of these, and granted, um, all across the world today, the tyrants and all of those that are engaged in just maligning and maliciously taking life. And I, th- I could name some names, Stalin and some of those that literally just life meant nothing to them. And yet Christians, in the presence of losing their life, even in communist Russia, they said it doesn't matter. I'm going to fear God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to give him everything that I can give him. Because you cannot take away what God can give. Now, that's easy for us in this room today, right? Now, what if somebody came in with an AK, uh, whatever. You just make up the weapon, whatever it is, and they come in and they say, okay, who's ever a Christian, line up in that wall because we're going to take you out. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? And Jesus said, that's exactly what I'm asking you to do. You need to fear the one that has the keys to eternal life. That's pretty strong. And, and again, was this the way you would start this rally? <laughs> has he got attention yet? Oh, I bet you the Pharisees are going crazy right now. Crazy. In other words, he's basically telling, telling him, don't concern yourself with anyone else. Just concern yourself with God. Ooh, it's one of the things that's interesting to me uh, in, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use, no, I'm not going to use the word church. I'm going to use the word cult. It's interesting to see when you step back and you look and see how a cult controls their members. They do it through fear tactics. They're either going to excommunicate you out of the organization People will no longer, friends and family will no longer associate with you. Do you see what it is? It's all about fear-mongering. And what is it? They're fearing anything else more than God. That's a line. That's a division. But it's amazing how Satan can conjure up what fear can do to individuals. Is it not? It's amazing. The power that they have. And I can name a number of them, but it doesn't matter. They're all the same. If they not make Jesus... And we're going to get into this in a moment. Anyone that says Jesus Christ is not God fully, and is not man fully, is a cult. Because you cannot honor God, you cannot have the proper fear for God, unless you have the proper fear for Jesus. We're going to get into this later today. You can't have God without Jesus. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except by me. Am I too loud? Shall I turn the volume down a little bit? Tony thinks it's okay. We're okay with that. We're okay. We'll keep moving then. Keep moving. One of the things, I, I think it's a good sidelight to this as well. We are never told to fear Satan. It's not in the Bible. What are we told to do with him? Resist the devil. 
Stand firm. Ephesians chapter 6, verses, 18, uh, verses 10 through 18 in particular. Stand firm. You have the armor of God. Now, you need to put the armor on. <laughs> he gave it to, you know, it's, it's your responsibility to put it on. It's your responsibility to use the word of God. Look at Jesus Christ in the, in the, in the, uh, the wilderness. He used scripture. The Savior, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, what did he use as his weapon? The Word of God. Do you know how we've become so used to in America having the Bible without knowing its real power? I mean, I hate to say it. I would hate to know how many Bibles, what percentage of the Bibles in the United States of America have never even been opened. That's not God's problem. (laughs) That's our problem, isn't it? That's where the strength is. That's where the strength is. Never told to fear Satan, resist him. Fear God who is all supreme. Well, number one was God will uncover what is hidden and God will punish hypocrites literally in hell. We went to Revelation chapter 20 to find that. Now let's look at verse 5. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yes, I say unto you, Fear him. Now, that was the ultimate supreme power listed for you in verse 5. Now, watch. There's a transition here in verse 6 that it's, it's almost... Now, how, how big is God in verse 5? Whoa! Whoa! Anybody that reads that verse is saying... Now, they may not choose to believe it, but it doesn't matter. It still hits you square in the face, and you're talking about a God... That you're asked to fear because he has the keys to eternity. And then he goes into sparrows. (laughs) Look at verse 6. It's just like, what? Where did that come from? Now watch what's also, now we were told, what's what's at the end of verse 5? Who are you supposed to fear? God says it two times in case you missed the first time. Fear him. And the word is actually comes, as we get in the English, phobia. You know what that means. Now keep watching. Verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. And you are saying, what is going on here? How did we get from him sending hypocrites to hell and he's in full power? Fear him. And all of a sudden, we're counting sparrows. In fact, let's look at, let's look at the corollary passage. Uh, I think we'll find it in... Hold your place. We'll be right back. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10. Uh, Matthew chapter 10. I think it's about verse 29. We'll find it. Yeah, there it is. <clears throat> well, actually, let's, uh, let's read verse 28. This is the, basically the same time frame. And Matthew's perspective on it from a Jewish uh, condition. Matthew chapter 10. Let's look at verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Same message. Now watch verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall in the ground without your father. Now that word fall actually is thought to be hop. Have you ever watched sparrows hop? Go ahead. I'm not going to do anything with it. You're just okay, right? You've... They just kind of hop along. He, see, he, what the message is there, God even knows the number of hops that the sparrows are doing. Whoa, blew my mind, right? I, 
it even hurt, uh, we've got a lot of sparrows in the, you know, sparrows are where they're not supposed to be. That's the one thing I'm convinced, at least from my perspective, they're in my shop, they're in granaries, they're in barns, all the places I don't want them to be. I don't have a high opinion of sparrows. So what's God doing with sparrows? Fact of the matter is, he knows everything about everything. There's nothing, think of this, there's nothing that God has ever learned. Honestly, when he knows everything, now, the other thing is he says he knows the hair on your head. Now, think of that. There's how many billion people live on this planet? We, are we close to eight? Eight billion now? Close, let's just say it's eight. Let, let's say it's eight billion, okay? Now, the average number of hairs on a head, you're, where did you find that? On the Internet. So I don't know if it's right or not, but it'll, take it, it'll play with you because, I, you know, I was kind of wondering. 150,000 hairs is the average on a head. Now, some of us have less than that. And some of it's a, diminishing, it's a diminishing thing. But God doesn't have, oh, I'm sorry, Paul lost another hair today. He doesn't even have to think about it. He just knows it. He knows every hair in this room right here. He knows every hair on every person in the world. The message is, you need to fear God because that's a God that knows everything. That's really what he's saying. Isn't that crazy? And it's not like he has, it's not like he has to keep up. Oh, I was, I was gone for, I wonder, no, he just knows it all. He's never learned anything, never updated, just knows it. That's God. That's God. That's God. Let's go to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21 and verse 18. Again, holding your place, we'll be back. He says this just a little bit differently. Actually, it's, obviously, it's the book of Luke. And he says this. I'm trying to see where I want to start. Um, let's just start in verse 16. Again, I... I it's speaking of an apocalyptic time, but I want you to see again the significance and the power and the omniscience and omnipotence of God. Verse 16, And you shall be betrayed both by parents and brothers and kinfolks and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Verse 18, But there shall not a hair of your head perish, because he has the full keys to eternity. There is, it's the same message, isn't it? Who are you going to fear? You're going to fear somebody that can do stuff to you? Mm-mm. See, that's what's, that's what's gone wrong with our country. We've lost the sense of the importance of truth. And now we just fear things that messes with our lives. And we've certainly cast out the fear of God. I'm afraid to know how many members of Congress actually fear God. That is my prayer today. We're going to pray when we finish. I am asking... That God would get a hold of those hearts and lives of every single member in those congressional halls so that they have an adequate, healthy fear of God. That's what's wrong with America today. And nowhere will we have truth rise to a new occasion until we have an adequate fear of God. Because anytime we're fearing something other than God, we've missed the importance of fearing God. It was a little too loud, probably. 
Acts chapter 27, turn there with me, Acts chapter 27, verse 34. Acts 27 and verse 34. Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, and there shall not a hair from the head of any of you. Paul was speaking about this shipwreck that was about to take place. God was fully providing. He was, he had, and he mentioned that Paul knew that full providence was in place. There was not one person was going to lose their life. And he said, I can, with a great deal of confidence, know that that's true. Let's go back to John on your way back. John chapter 5 and verse 23. There's something now that he's moving along. We've uncovered the three reasons to fear him. Uh, just review those for me quickly. You've got them now. So number one is the reason to fear is what? Everything will be uncovered. Everything's going to be revealed. There's nothing that will remain hidden. Number two? Hypocrites will be punished. And number three? He knows everything. You can make, Jerry, what you had there, just couple that with number two. It kind of follows together. Number three is he knows everything about everything. You've probably met some pretty smart people. There are some people that are, think they're smarter than they are. You've met some of those. But there's people that know a lot about something. But we're talking about God who knows everything about everything. Whoa, that'll hurt your head. But that's who we're talking about. Where did I tell you to turn? Or didn't I? Oh, yeah, John, John chapter 5. Watch it. This is going to fit in beautifully in what we're going to be talking about now in Luke chapter 12. But here we go. John chapter 5, verse 23. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. And you say, okay, that's cool. Do you know who that was flying right in the face of? Turn with me to John. Where did I have it? John chapter 5. Turn to John chapter 8. And let's compare that for a second. John chapter 8 and verse 41 and 42. I've already told you about John chapter 14 verse 6. For I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except by me. Now here in John chapter 8 verse 41 and 42. Let's compare that. Actually, um, let's see. Let's start in verse 39. John chapter 8, verse 3. They answered, this would be the Pharisees. They answered and said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. What is he saying? You cannot be of God if you do not confess Jesus Christ. Period. <laughs> now, it comes back to the same thing. Do you see what he's really saying? You're to fear God. You're also supposed to fear the Son. Did they have fear for the Son? No. In fact, the word fornication, they actually never believed that he was born of a virgin. They believe he was, he was conceived out of wedlock. And that was their whole point in saying that. You know what their, what their impression of Jesus was? Pretty small. You can't have a small Jesus and know God. You've got to have not a created Jesus. You can't know God. 
Amazing how it fits together. To confess. Let's go back to Luke chapter 12 now and let's watch carefully after we've talked about the hairs on our head and the sparrows, which literally they'd throw. If you go to uh, Matthew chapter 10, I was going to point that out. I forgot. Remember, it was two sparrows for one farthing. And here in, in uh, Luke chapter 12, it says five sparrows for two farthings. You say, well, wait a minute. No, they threw the fifth one in for free. It wasn't worth nothing. Right? And who ate? You know what? Actually, the very, very poor, the, 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 I'm talking poverty-stricken people, they actually would eat sparrows. They would, they'd have a, a denarii, not even a denarii, of the smallest coin known to that time, and they could buy two sparrows. And you don't think in America we're blessed? I have not had a sparrow sandwich. I've not roasted a sparrow. I've shot them. <laughs> you see? That's what God is. That's who God is. Let's go to First um, uh, John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. Just nailing down again, and it's amazing, and the same man that um, God used to write the gospel of John is the same John that wrote the epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You're going to turn to 1st John chapter 4, and let's look at verse 15. Uh, let's see, verse 14. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Now you cannot do that with affirming that the deity of Jesus Christ you cannot get to God without going through Jesus Christ. It is absolutely impossible. Anyone that tries to tell you that needs to come into Jesus. No question about it. Now, when we say confess, let's go back. I'm sorry, I keep taking you away from here. Let's go back to Luke chapter 12 one more time. Luke chapter 12. And now he's filling in the blanks. How do we fear God? He's telling us now in verses 8 and 9 of Luke chapter 12. Also I, Jesus, say unto you. Are you all there? Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 8. Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. What is he saying? What, is, what does confess mean? If you're confess, what does confess mean? Agree with the truth. To say the truth. If I confess, I'm saying the truth. We need some confession in Washington, D.C. right now. We need the truth to be revealed. We need the truth to be opened up, and that's through confession. To say the truth. Now, what is the truth? In other words, they say if you confess the Son, to say the truth about the Son, then the truth about the Father is revealed. What do we know about the Son? Let's talk about a few things, right? There should be, we should be able to fill the rest of our time together here. Uh, confess the Son to me right now. Just tell me, confess the Son. Say the truth. What do, what do we have? Let's talk about some things. He's the Son of God. We talked about just in First John here. What else? He's a Savior. Virgin born. Virgin born. 
actually, that's amazing. I think it's in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, speaks of the virgin birth. I was like, I mean, we're talking hundreds of years before it happened. Hundreds of years. Wow. Powerful. What else? He's all God and all men. That is an absolutely powerful thing we need to know. Emmanuel is what? God with us. God with us. All man, all God. That hurts my head, right? How can you be 100% God and 100% man? Jesus is. Jesus was. Not even was. He is. Period. Excuse me? One more time. A man in heaven. What else? He's sinless. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. I love that verse. You know what? I want a Jesus that went through all of the, all of the, terrib- all the temptations that I've went through, and he never sinned. And he can knows exactly what I feel like. He knows. i got to read. Do you mind if we read that verse? Just, well, let's just do this. This is one you really, when you're having a bad day, and Satan wants you to have bad days, it's so good to know we have a Savior that knows exactly what it is. Let's go to verses 15 and 16 of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Wow. Let us therefore, because of that, verse 16, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That just takes me to the next point. Remember what Ernie had said when we kind of started this whole thing off? I asked... Why do we obey God? Remember that? That was a few minutes ago. You remember, right? Okay. Now, in all of our reading today so far, Hebrews chapter 4, which is verse 16, which was not in my notes, it actually brings us to what I think is a really sweet spot. There was two times there was a word mentioned in verse 16. What is that word? It's really the culmination of what Jesus accomplished. Grace. We've had, actually, I wouldn't even know how far back we'd have to go to where we started a study about grace. Yes, we're saved by grace. We live by grace. We're glorified by grace. Everything that you're involved in is be God's grace. And what's at the basis of grace? Agape love. That infinite love that only God could really describe because I can't do it adequately. But it's self-sacrificing. It's full. It's complete. There's nothing remaining that we need to add to it. Now, let's take, for instance, a little boy or a little girl. And let's say they're about two. Because you've heard that saying, the terrible twos, right? Why do we say the terrible twos? <laughs> because they're terrible. <laughs> okay. Why do, we, why do we say that? Why, why did that catch on? Why did that phrase? And I'm not suggesting every child that's two is this way, but why did it come to be? What was the deal? They, they finally, yes, and from our perspective, they do have a mind of their own, and they're, they, they just like, they're breaking out, and what are, they, what are we trying to do? There's a transition again, isn't it? And what's going on? They think they're in charge, and our job as a parent is to make sure that they know they're not in charge, correct? And that's what they call it. It's, it's a real interesting time. Now, for you to tell a two-year-old, now, hopefully this is... I've not practiced this. This may not make any sense. I'm hoping it does. So you have the two-year-old, okay? And I I could think of a couple right now, but I'm not going to even do that, right? Okay? (laughs) But if I sat that that little boy or that little girl down, and I would say, now listen, daddy or grandpa wants you to obey me 
because you love me. You guys are all laughing. You're saying that. that yeah, whoom, right? That's what, that's what Jeff did. Round right over your head. It's gone. Now, that didn't catch, right? Why not? They can't comprehend it. They cannot comprehend it. Now, does that mean we have to wait till they can comprehend it? No is the right answer, right? Actually, that little guy or girl needs to have the fear of right and wrong expressed in a way just out of respect and fear. The parent is in charge, period. Okay, that's the way it works. That's the only way it works, quite honestly. And the earlier you do that, the better it is for you. I remember one of my children, not here. (laughs) They're not here, so these three are off the hook, right? I'm going to tell this little story because it fits perfectly. It really does. Because there's a point when you, and when you first come to Jesus, you know, and you know, this is, this is where I really want to get to. I hope we can get this. I can keep this lined up. I got so many things in my mind. I want to get this right. Because the fear, the proper fear of God, again, what does it do? It drives you to him. But it is not fear that saves you. Did you get that? Now, If you're fearful of death, you're convicted by your sin and that causes fear within you, that's a motivation that God and the Holy Spirit uses to get you there. That does not save you. The Bible is clear. For by grace you are saved through fear, through faith. You must believe what is the truth about Jesus and about God. Fear can be a motivating thing, that is, and that, that's the fear we're talking about in Luke chapter 12. That's what brings you there. doesn't save you there. Okay, so here I have this little child, one of the five. I was, managing a, I was, I was a manager up in the upper ruby. Not really upper ruby, but above Alder anyway. And long days, I drove, I don't know, 40,000, 50,000 miles in this pickup truck that year. It was a long year, right? Get in late. And Lisa had supper on the table, and uh, I was living in Silverstone. We were living in Silverstone at the time. So, you know, pretty good. You know, it adds up. You do it every day, it adds up. So anyway, I come in, and I'm beat. And, and my dear wife, she had, I don't remember what. I don't remember that part of the evening, but it was great because it always was, always good. And here's this child, and uh, there was a box of buttons. And it was full. It was about like this. Uh, those that can't, it, it was probably, you know, 12 inches by 6 inches, full of buttons. Why they were there, I don't know. It doesn't matter. You could see what was going to happen. This is about 9, 9.30 at night. And the only reason she was up was just to see her daddy, right? And we'd do that for a little bit. And, and you, you could see it. It's in the middle of the kitchen floor. And she, well, I gave it away. I think, I, I think the child has been revealed now. I'm sorry. And it's not, it's not. Okay. Pardon me, but here we are, okay? She's heard the story before. At any rate, at any rate, I, I, I could just see it. It was just wanting to get in, just dump those out, right? I said, stop, just a minute now. If you, dump, if you dump those out and you play with them, then you'll have to pick them up. Now, you see what I've done now? I didn't say she couldn't dump them out, but there was conditions. And this, this child is not very old. She's between two and three. 
She gets it. She looks at me, and she dumps them out. <laughs> but oh, hey, wow. it's okay. We're good, right? Oh, Not a problem. She played with them for 3.4 milliseconds <laughs> and takes off. I stop. Now, now we're involved. Now we're involved. I said, you'll have to pick up the buttons. <laughs> no! <laughs> and I wasn't even, I mean, and, and I, she was spanked before she even knew it hit her. Oh. And I, I scooped her up and I said, Daddy loves you, but you have to do what I told you to do. And she's crying, you know. And, and I set her down and I said, now you'll have to pick up the buttons. <laughs> no! And this is, this is, that went on seven times. Lisa had exited the room. <laughs> She'd been parenting all day long. What do you need any more of this for, right? This shouldn't be on tape probably. But anyway, anyway. And I was starting, I, I remember walking in the office. There's an office just off there. And I, I just, I, I'm not talking, I'm, I'm talking to God. God, what am I going to do here? Right? I want to just go to bed, Right? And I kept after it, just kept after it. And finally, I put her down, and she started to put the buttons in the box. Now I can help her. Now I can help her. But you see, she, didn't, she couldn't obey because she loved me. She had to obey because it was the right thing to do. <laughs> it was, an, it was in for, and that you know what? Our initial fear of God is that way. It is that way. He is sovereign. He is powerful. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. There's nothing that he isn't in the sense of power. And we need to respect that. And there's a fear that part of it must bring us to him. We must rationally realize where we're at. And you need to just flat respect that. He made the rules. Now, if you're a Christian and you follow Jesus Christ for, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35 years? This is where this question came earlier in the week. Why are we obeying God when we've been one of his children? I'm just going to pick 20 years. It better not be because you are scared of God. It better be because you love him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. Let's go to that in the Bible. Let's find that for a second. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. <clears throat> now, and let's look at verse uh, 18. This is another reason. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, we've already been there and we read verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> and let's look at verses 18 and 19 now. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now watch verse 19. This is what sets it all up. We love him because he first loved us. That's what sets it all up. You know, it's not like that God says, you have to, you have to love me to come to me. You, you can't understand that. You're lost. You're, you're separated. You have no idea of what that is. But because of what God did, 
because of the love that was expressed through... In fact, let's take a look at this now. Let's, this is, we were, we're speaking the truth. We're confessing what Jesus did. Let's go to 1 Corinthians for a moment. Turn, this is another passage of Scripture you need to know. It's just very direct. It's very complete, very concise. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Paul is actually closing up, if you will. He's starting to wind down the book of 1 Corinthians. But this is what he says. For I delivered Paul. He says, for I, Paul, delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that, watch, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Those two verses succinctly put in perspective the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins He was buried and he rose again. Those two verses are so spectacular in what they get accomplished of providing everything that Jesus accomplished. And he loved us before we loved him. But this is what I'm trying to get now. If you're obeying today, and this isn't, I don't want anybody raising their hands. This is an internal thing. If you're obeying God today just strictly out of fear and you've been a child of his for any period of time, then that means you don't understand what he did for you. It's not legalism. It's not following. Now, by the way, the law, and the, it's all good, but God wants us to love him and enjoy him forever. That's what a proper fear in the sense of reverence and all. I cannot believe how great my God is for what he accomplished on Calvary's tree. Jesus Christ, who spoke into existence at the, at the point of creation, everything that we know of, and he put himself at risk and humbled himself to the very point of becoming a human child. Lived 33 years on this, was rejected by those that received him, that he made. Died on a tree of which he composed because he loved me. Now to bring me to him, I'm okay with the fact, whatever it takes. Maybe a car wreck, maybe a disease, it may be something that scares the daylights out of you because God is the only one you have left. Praise God. You know, sometimes they say that a drunk, someone that's in the gutter, there's nowhere to go but... Exactly. That is a motivation to take him or her to Jesus Christ. That is not what saves them. You must want Jesus Christ more than anything else. Boy, I've got a lot of emotion in this today. But this is really where we, what Jesus is trying to say to this massive crowd of people. He says, you've got to get this right. And I'm here to say it's the same way. You've got to get this right. But how are you obeying him today? I hope out of love. If you don't know him, then the very essence of the fear of a God that is so powerful, and he has the keys to your eternal future, then that's a good place to bring you to the cross. And then let him finish the job. Let him finish the job that's going on in your heart. The Holy Spirit is calling you potentially to him. And that's where he wants you to be because he loves you so much. Now that's the way Jesus Christ laid this out. Isn't that beautiful? What a God we serve. What a God we serve. Uh, One more. Let's go to Romans chapter 10 for a moment. And I think we're going to... Romans chapter 10. 
What a beautiful verse. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess, you see the same thing, to say the truth about Jesus with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Thou shalt be saved. I don't know why, but I have John 14. I'm going to turn there real quickly. Well, just be patient with me. 14, verse 23, if you want to go there. If not, I'm going to see what I have that written down. Oh, here we go. Yeah, this fits. It, it, it's beautiful. Okay. Uh, verse 23 of John. John chapter 20. Uh, I'm sorry. John chapter 14. You'll not find John chapter 14 and verse 23. And Judas, not Iscariot, let's go to verse 22. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, that's the other disciple, Judas, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest or make yourself known thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. That is a beautiful, beautiful understanding of the relationship that you now have in Jesus Christ. And there's some stuff, I'm going to tell you something, just because God said it, that's good enough. That's good enough. But he ultimately wants us to trust him. And we, now, we, now we're stepping back into some of the stuff we've covered. Our contentedness. Now, actually, maybe we're going to leapfrog into what we're maybe talking about next week. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, it says, What godliness with contentment is great gain. And we talked for a couple of weeks about contentment. I'm going to just ask the question. You don't need to answer, but... Those things that we laid out in the sense of the, I'm not going to say the attributes, but the, the significant principles of how contentment takes place. Have you guys engaged some of those? Have you, have you felt the contentment that God wants you to have? I hope so. But contentment is really based on this situation right here. As we respond in love to God, understanding what he did for us, and contentment is, it just, it just happens. It just literally happens because we have the right perspective on it all. Okay? Any questions about last week or anything else? Because we did. We just, it was amazing. It was like drinking from a fire hose last week, right? Those of you who were here, and there's some heads nodding up and down. It was a lot of stuff. But I think slowing it down just a bit today and coming at it from a different perspective, does it become more robust in the sense of the fear of God in its proper perspective? I'm hoping. Okay. Anything else that we need? Any questions or comments? If not, we're going to shut it down. Now, I would say this. Remember that verse we were in the Old Testament? I think we were all actually in the Old Testament one time today. And it's a verse that I would like to just sing at the high, highest hold. And where was that at? Micah. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Uh, memorize that verse. Memorize that verse. Okay, here we go. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for unfolding for us Jesus' own words in a huge group of people. He cut right to the quick. He sorted right through it. There was no games the Jesus rally that's told the truth. And there was many from this point on that departed. It was too straight. It was too forward. Father, they made a choice. But Jesus is here today as well, reaching on his arms, opening them up. For it's in love that he's bearing the scars of Calvary's cruel cross. And he paid the price for me and for every other person that's ever lived. There's no sin too great. 
that he did not pay for. As we confess the truth about Jesus, then the relationship between us and God is fixed. It's called justification. What a magnificent story of salvation, God, that you put together before anything was made. There's no words to describe the magnitude, the awesomeness of what you've accomplished. Father, it's my prayer, first of all, for this group that's here and those that are in the sounds of this voice, that, Father God, may Christians, those that have trusted Christ as Savior, may they be obedient out of love and not a scared fear. An awesome, reverent fear, one that is worthy of your worship, yes. One that drives us to you to further instigate a relationship that you yearn to have with us, absolutely. But ultimately, it's the love that overpowers it because grace is love. And grace is expressed through what Jesus accomplished. Father, I pray for our men and women serving at the highest level in our nation's leadership. You know them all. You know their hearts. You know everything about them. You know the hairs in their heads. You know their character. You know everything about them. Father, I pray for them. I want to lift them up as our leaders. And I know, Father, that no one obviously gets it right all of the time. But I'm asking that they would get you right. That their hearts would be changed. That their minds would bow down to a God that is powerful and sovereign and mighty. And we would walk humbly. They would see that there's only one to fear. Not power, not prestige, not position, not others. You, God Almighty, the God that's in charge, that's in control. May we as a nation return to you. Thank you for the mighty blessings that you've provided the American, to, to America, the United States of America. What a blessed country. I pray for all of our leaders today. Instill within them the courage to only fear you. And now, Father, we ask that you be with us and take us in our life's journeys that are unique to each one of us, that who we come in contact with, that our lives would not be hypocritical, that we would follow our life, or our, that our life would follow what we say is truth, for the truth will set us free. Go with us, Father. Allow us to see you more clearly than we've ever seen you. For it's in your power that we can go forward, trusting you as our Savior, our Lord, our Creator, and our Redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.